Giuseppe. Karina, welcome to the Ward family. Thank you. Karina, where did life begin for you? Where did you grow up? I was born in Salt Lake City and cruelly ripped from my grandmother's arms when they moved to California for better work. My dad was going to go to school and that's how we came here. But I was two, I think, when we moved here and we moved to various houses that I don't recall, but I recall the stories of, you know, there's the stink house and there's one with slugs. There's the one they call the Orpheus house because the neighbors swore a lot. It wasn't until we got to Bark Lane that I think I remember the homes that we we lived in, but they, they're still there, the apartments that we lived in at that point. When we moved back, one of them was available to rent, but so my parents enjoyed being like, they're asking that much for the apartment. As you were growing up, were there certain types of interests that you had or certain types of activities that you found yourself really enjoying or gravitating towards? I loved watching old movies. We would watch screwball comedies from the 30s. It was my dad's favorite, of course, and you know we watched, of course, things like Little Rascals and everything that was on the TV, I feel like, was a prime thing for kids of my generation. And so we watched all of the daytime TVs. We watched all of the evening TVs. I never woke up for Saturday morning cartoons, so I didn't get there. But through my old movies, I loved the dresses. So I would design and make my own like doll dresses based off of that. And, you know, that's for a while I was a fashion designer. So that was some aspect of my life that I started here. (laughs) As we were getting set up for this interview, I was noticing some of the artwork in, in your home. Were you an artist as a child, or did that come later? I was. started really young and had one of my first experiences with art in grade school. We went on a field trip to the park across the school that had some sort of installation art set up. And I just, you know, we walked with like the rope that you hung on to all the way there and we went inside the building and it was really dark and it was one of those wonderful 70s wood California buildings that there aren't as many of now and this piece had like bird seed suspended over this thing that as slowly it would drop down and make little tinkling sounds and I was just like I love this <laughs> I don't know why I love this but I love this and so that was sort of the beginning of art. I took painting classes. I have, I had a friend who, when I was kids, we'd draw little comics um, to each other through school, obviously paying attention to what was going on in, in school. And now she works at Disney. That's just, it was always something that I did. And as you were growing up, were you a member of the church at this point in your life? We were active people. My parents, and I don't know if it was the time, but I felt like, come state conference and come general conference it was sort of like our vacation (laughs) so I feel like more casual I didn't start watching all of general conference until on my mission really I would usually hit the Sunday sessions or something like that but I feel like we were active members of the church and I never would doubt my parents testimony in it but we also watched R-rated movies and and were more flexible as far as those standards than some of my peers in in church. And were there any early experiences that you had that you felt like helped to build your faith or that were important to you in terms of a relationship with Heavenly Father or Jesus Christ? Oh, lots. I remember preparing to be baptized. I 
broken my wrist. And so I was in a cast when I should have been baptized. And I just felt like I needed to know and that it was really important. And so I spent that whole extra little bit of time just really wanting like a, a burning scroll to say, it's good, do it, you know, and, and I of course didn't get that. And I decided, you know, I'm gonna, I'm going to choose to be baptized because the experience that I have there and, and I think it, I think it's right. I think it's the right thing to do. And I was, I went back into the changing room afterwards and I remember feeling just like I was made out of pure light and just this lovely feeling that I don't think I've ever had since, but has stayed with me as, as clearly as it happened at that moment. I feel like that was one of the, the starts, but at the same time, I really, like I would go to sleep listening to the Book of Mormon cassette tapes as my bedtime listening. When we'd have friends stay over and sleep over, they'd be like, can we not listen to your scary bedtime stories? <laughs> But um, I just, it was my habit, and so I'd just turn it on and listen to it. And so I never had doubts, like any time that I feel like I've ever felt less comfortable. It was more just that I didn't feel comfortable in in the community. Not, not that I didn't know it was true, but that maybe the way certain people were behaving were making me uncomfortable there, or way maybe the way that I looked at the time made me feel uncomfortable there. And so I, yeah, it's never been a doubt as to whether or not the gospel is true. It is, it has more just been a comfort level of, of being a shy person. So as time went on and as you grew up and went through school, what happened after the high school years? Did you, you mentioned a mission, did, did that happen right away or did you go to, go to school or work or something in between or? After high school, I went to art school very briefly. At art school, there was a talk a while ago, I think I mentioned the little branch that was organized just before I got there and dissolved right after I left that really gave me a testimony as to the community of, of the gospel too and how important and necessary each one of us are at church and made a space for me there. While that isn't where I say my testimony started at. It's sort of where my parents are comfortable seeing it. But after that, I left that art school after a month and went back home and just sort of dinked around in a community college for a while, taking all sorts of classes. I, I took karate classes and archery and Japanese and creative writing and interior decorating and some fashion classes, which is what eventually got me going to fashion school. But before that, I, while dinking, I started getting a prompting to serve a mission. And it was just like, we had a 45 minute drive to and from school. And I would just be like driving and it would be like, oh, you could serve a mission. I'd be like, no, I never wanted to do that. That's not a thing I ever wanted to do. I had a weird feminist streak as a child that was on odd things like I felt it was wrong that women couldn't wear like couldn't go out without shirts on when men could especially as a child like there's no difference and I was like this is an injustice and all the wrongs in the world are hinged on this fact and so you know at the the 18 month mission and having to wait a little longer is very much like never which is funny because my grandma and my mother served a mission my grandmother of course served missions also as, as an adult, but she served 
when she was a young woman as well. So I started getting promptings to serve a mission and they got faster, like more and more often until it was just a constant irritation. And I was like, fine, I'll do it. I'll do this thing. Clearly I'm supposed to. I feel like there was a lot of ideas at the time too that missionaries were kind of just a like a suit filler. That it wasn't the individual missionary that really mattered, that God was going to use you. And it's like, yes, in, in a sense, sometimes it doesn't matter who the missionary is. And it's just the person is precisely ready and they're just like, you are here. And if, if it was somebody else, it would have also worked. But sometimes there are people that needed a specific person to be able to understand something or share something. And so I started preparing and I had a kid who came, we were in youth groups together, but he came back. He'd moved to Utah. I really didn't like him before. He was obnoxious in a way that, and it was a small youth group. So it's like, you're just like, you're, you're much. And he came back after moving to Utah when into the singles ward that was there, teeny little building. And he gave this talk before his mission and he quoted from second Corinthians God uses the weak things to confound the strong and the foolish thing to confound the wise. And I sat there and I just knew that I'm both weak and foolish and maybe God needed me not as just a, a filler to be there, but like that because of who I was, that I was necessary. And I got the rest of the paperwork in and I got out and I was called to Phoenix, Arizona. It was really a wonderful mission. For being an Arizona mission, everyone always asks if it was hot. And I was a snowbird, so I was always up north during the summers and then down in the valley in the wintertime. And a lot of missionaries envied my mission pattern, but it, it was lovely. And I also had the privilege, because of the timing that I left, it looks on the calendar years that I served a two-year mission. <laughs> so it's just sort of funny that there's that little, I guess, a joke on me, but at least it's it's funny to me at the very least. It was really powerful. There were there were people there that I, you know, obviously would never have met. The first lady that we really in Flagstaff, she was a retired NAU professor. Really remarkable. She had medical issues that meant that she had a person who was like a nurse come and visit her and that nurse happened to be a member of the church and when she asked for any movies that the nurse might have just for her to borrow she was like here you go here's the legacy movie and Car the carol she watched this movie and was just like if people are so willing to give up so much for this church i need to find out more about it because i just need to hear about it and talking with her through the lessons and she was an incredibly intelligent woman and it was a different teaching experience just because she was somebody who came with, with so much understanding of how to acquire knowledge in, in a traditional sense and and having to start trusting her ability to acquire spiritual knowledge and had to change her life completely but that it was just rooted in watching a movie that was so lovely and made missionary work on the outside look like it was possible to because <laughs> you're like here's this fun movie that i love and it's good legacy is a great movie she was baptized it was hard work to get her there and just a couple months later she passed away she's a person that i'll always think about there were lots of other people that i met through my mission and friends that i made and experiences that were definitely special and some hard but 
I miss that opportunity that you have as a missionary to go into anybody's home and to just be in that home and get that sort of you're our missionary, you're our past, let's just have you be a part of our family because you, you can't do that as a regular person and just sort of wander in and, and be like, A, feed me, and, and B, I want your stories too, tell me your stories, let's let's play games, let me into your life in a way that, you know, most strangers, it takes years to become just casual in that family friendship type of situation. And missionaries, they get something real special and I don't know if they help understand that <laughs> you were saying earlier that maybe there are some situations where any missionary could be put to use in that situation and then there's other ones that perhaps you were uniquely suited towards or maybe uniquely prepared for did you have any experiences along those lines where you felt like i'm here for this reason or you know for this moment you know in my mission i don't think i had any super defining those moments i had a companion who i loved she was just sweetest person and she had a hip condition you know as a young person she always describe her hip condition in the same way with the same gestures every time so I can still do the same things that she always did. but you know she she was experiencing a condition that most people don't experience until they're much older she worked really hard to get out on a mission and it was really hard because it was a lot of walking even even though we sisters were spoiled with always having cars even it was still tracting was the thing you did and it was Arizona and even though it's winter it's still Arizona <laughs> So we would, we would tract and we would get the monsoon rains dumped on us and we were just going up and down the hilly parts of the valley. She was struggling and I remember just really putting extra effort in my prayers for figuring out where we should tract. And we ended up, I was praying about where we should go and it was like one of the few times that it's ever happened so clearly, but I had like our tracting map, which, you, you know, you had your rainbow colors of when you were tracting this area and that area, and it just was so clear that we needed to go to this area in this part, and we tracked that area, and we ran into a lady whose granddaughter was serving a mission, but she wasn't a member, and she was like, oh my goodness, this is like, this is so amazing that here you are, sister missionaries, and my granddaughter's a missionary, and this is, I'm just like so proud of her. And as far as I know, nothing came from that other than my knowing how much God cared about me asking <laughs> to find an answer for that. But I was the person that helped her in her struggle and decision to decide to go home. I mean, she came out on her mission and she immediately got walking pneumonia. She struggled for months and just felt so much hardship about the possibility of not being able to be there and I was able to support her with scriptures and being able to talk with her about Esther and say you know you were here for such a time as this and she did meet people that she was specially there for in the field and I don't I you know I feel like I helped my companions probably more than I helped anybody that that joined the church while I was there but at the very least, the person that needed me on the mission the most was probably myself. What came next after the mission? You mentioned being a fashion designer. I don't know if you immediately went into that or what uh, what happened after the mission. I did a little bit more schooling 
my mission president when I left told me that I should become a stenographer or a nurse or something else and I, I went home and I told my mom I should become a nurse and she was like no you shouldn't <laughs> she was a nurse and and I assumed that she was capable of judging that but it was sort of like oh <laughs> um, so I I dinked around some more in school and found some fashion classes there built my portfolio and applied to California College of the Arts and I got in and so I moved from Kansas to California to live in Oakland and go to school in San Francisco where I I honestly school fashion school was so hard <laughs> it was so much time and like most of us were sleeping on chairs most of the nights because the projects were so massive. I got an internship with a men's fashion company and they hired me after the internship was over and I worked with them for a while until I decided that I couldn't do school and and work with them at the same time so I dropped school. Um, <laughs> it's always always my choice. Worked with them and unfortunately the economy collapsed and fashion instantly died a gruesome death. Like we lost a third of our vendors like within a week and then it just kept going. So I lost that job and I tried after that for several months to find something else. Even I was applying for dishwashers, I was I was applying for any type of a job and there's just so much competition because of how devastating it was um, that I ended up having to go back home. Now unfortunately on my mission my parents had moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania so when I returned home I returned to somewhere I'd never been. I went there and started going to the singles ward out there, trying to build a life of interest out there. And in, in California, when I was going to my schooling, the way I'd blow off steam would, I, you know, because clearly sleep wasn't a thing that I was doing. I wouldn't go to all the dancing. I would go to all the goth clubs and go dancing. And so obviously I still wasn't sleeping, but at least I, I had had fun. <laughs> and so I was trying to set some of those things up while I was out in Pittsburgh and like finding some various little scenes that I would enjoy and, and figuring out the venues because I like going to see bands and things like that. And eventually I would uh, get into the friend group of uh, Johnny, now my husband. That's where and how I met him. He was there, his family, he grew up there and he was trying to get a job in DC, but with again the economy collapsing the clearance process uh, was taking a lot longer than usual and so it just never happened and so he's just kind of stuck there <laughs> and so we ended up meeting each other while both of us were sort of not where we were expecting to be at that time point and and just having a lot of fun I grew to love Pittsburgh it took me at least three years to not get lost everywhere I went it's a nightmare to drive <laughs> it's really awful Somebody was like, let's just make the road go this way. And, and you think that sometime it'll connect to this road that you, you know is over here, but it never will. Somehow it never will connect and you're just, you're lost. I've had to follow buses because I'm like, I recognize the street that they say they're going to. I can get out of this area. I'm just lost it if I can just follow that bus. And then of course GPS happened and I feel like this is all aging me, but 
it's fine. And was this, uh, when you met your now husband, was this a love at first sight kind of a thing? Or did it kind of take a while to get to know each other and then decide to, to make a life together? Or how did that unfold? Uh, at the time, he liked dressing up for church. So he would wear his bow tie and his very cute suit. And so the first time I saw him, I, I saw him and I said, well, he dresses nice. He must be stupid. And so it wasn't necessarily love at first sight, but it was, you know, just like, here's, here's, a, here's a person. I can get to know him. And we talked at a couple of things. There was some, like, pig cook that... I managed to steal his popsicle because it was a banana popsicle and those are delicious and there wasn't any others and so like mild flirting but nothing really big occasionally he would talk to like we had shared friends and he would be talking to the this group and I would just overhear parts of the conversation and, and like he'd be talking about you know when prom happened and I'd be like people don't normally talk about prom in my age group anymore maybe he's a little younger than me um, and you know, just a smidge younger, <laughs> but it was, it ended up like we s just started getting into the same friend group and I don't even remember. I think he needed a movie, not a movie buddy, a music buddy to go see a band or else I, I can't remember honestly how we started dating. I know that he told his sister that he didn't want to be dating me. <laughs> And then changed his mind. Uh, I think it's because the band that I picked was better than the band that he picked that we saw. You know, we were, we just had a lot of fun together, and he was a good friend and and uh, had similar interests. And well, and, and now you're both out here in this area, and and uh, you know, kind of building a life together out here. And so, as time has gone on, and life is presented various you know ups and downs and things like that when you look back on earlier in your life or you know your mission or things like that you know how do you feel like your faith has kind of evolved since then or how has your relationship with heavenly parents you know maybe evolved over that time period there's always the the challenge of dealing with first of course the dramatic change of being a single person to becoming a married person and then having kids and the challenges of just being like well on my mission i had this glorious routine where i read the scriptures all the time and i had to and having to figure that out again and i think i made lots of attempts to have some sort of a routine and i don't think it's managed to stick until COVID actually was the come follow me curriculum gave me a lot of motivation to read the pages that were assigned for gospel doctrine i always for like all the years of my life, I always felt guilty going to gospel doctrine class because I never ever ever read the, the pages there that were due. I just read whatever I wanted to. I feel like since that switch, I have found an incredible amount of comfort and guidance in the scriptures that is, is just to have been like, we read this part, but it was appropriate to what I needed at that moment in that week. And it's funny that you know, Captain Moroni happened to be at this week because this was what was going on. And, you know, it was, it felt so personal, especially that first year of COVID to have to have that as a, a source and to be able to be building a habit. Habit and me aren't, aren't friends. And so it's nice to have built something that I can now feel really a lot of comfort and like, 
pride in myself for being able to say, you know, I take time almost every day to try to have to meet these reading goals and, and spend some time investigating it. And, you know, not just for having to teach it, but, but just for the love of, of learning it. Things go up and down and there are big and little ways that God has intervened in my life. The time that I had to practice acquiring revelation for my own self prior to now, you know, as a single person and on my mission has given me the ability to just trust that, yeah, maybe I, I dropped that habit for a little bit, but I can pick it up and I can still know that I can receive guidance even on how to start picking that up so I can start being more in tune to the spirit again. Even things like when my husband left the church, I had a baby and a toddler and uh, just a lot of stubbornness <laughs> that I wasn't, I was going to do this thing. And so, you know, those, they, they make those baby carrier car seat things out of some sort of convenience, but they're just nightmares to bring upstairs and and the Pittsburgh church there you parked at the bottom and then you had to go up these stairs and and so just dragging that up these stairs and I was doing it out of this just like not peaceable feelings that I was having at the time it was hard and until we were moving out of that ward they asked me to give a talk and they gave me this list of words I could pick from for my my talk topic and forgiveness was one of the words on there and I remember feeling just so mad about that word forgiveness on there that I was startled to be mad at forgiveness (laughs) that I had to be like oh maybe that's the thing I should look at a little bit closer and getting an opportunity to, to notice and learn what that feels like when people in that ward had kind of caused so much contention that my husband left and to be there out of anger and stubbornness and not lose it was a powerful like the most one of the most powerful talks that I've ever had to prepare for and like the hardest one that I ever had to do I had so much answers to prayers while preparing that talk and then giving that talk which also helped other people who had also witnessed some of the things that were going on it really helped me to understand more about people being people and that that how much of a privilege it is to be able to forgive people even if they are never going to come to you to ask for forgiveness or recognize the the harm that they caused. I don't think that without my testimony that I have that I would have found as much joy in any of these processes that have happened. Even just like a regular day I can still build up because there's just that relationship with with Heavenly Father and being able to find healing and peace in trial and also to see how beautiful just a regular day is sometimes and like the good highlights and keep those like President Hinckley always talked about. Having a testimony has made my life richer even if it meant that my life was easier if I didn't, I wouldn't choose it.
I think that that is a perfect place for us to end here today, but I hopefully it won't be the end of people coming and saying hi to you and getting to know you a little bit better. And hopefully this has given them a chance to maybe learn certain parts of your life that they wouldn't have otherwise been familiar with. So Karina, thank you so much for being a part of this and, and uh, sharing this with us. Thank you.